Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be fully pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Jesus' parables are layered stories that teach us many lessons. They're usually provoked by a question or a challenge. And in this case, that challenge is key to understanding the story. Parables are also meant to make us a little uncomfortable and to shift our perception so that we can see in a new way. In our scripture today, Jesus is teaching somewhere, and soon he is surrounded by sinners who want to hear what he has to say. There in the crowd, maybe off to the side, certainly bunched up together away from the sinners, were some scribes and Pharisees. What were they doing? Well, they were grumbling and saying to one another, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice they did not confront Jesus directly about their issues. They were grumbling among themselves. They were having the parking lot meeting after the meeting, complaining about that had just been made that they didn't agree with. They were having themselves a bad attitude day, infecting all those around them and given half a chance. They were being sure that we are right and they are wrong. But Jesus always knew what was in people's hearts. And he responded by telling them three stories. First, he tells a short story about a shepherd of 100 sheep who loses one. He leaves the 99 in the field and goes off to find the lost one. When he finds it, he shoulders it and carries it home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together. He says, rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep! The second short story is about a woman with 10 silver coins who loses one. She tears up the house to find that one coin, and when she does, she calls together all her neighbors and friends and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. At the end of each of these two stories, Jesus tells his listeners that in heaven, there is more rejoicing over the finding of one sinner who repents than over those who were not lost and have no need to repent. One of the things that I am best at is getting lost. Just ask either of my daughters and they will no doubt be happy to tell a story about some driving or hiking adventure with mom that left us lost. Like the time I was trying to go from my sister's house in San Diego back to my father-in-law's house in Santee, but I ended up a few miles from Mexico. <laughs> my elder daughter, then about five, burst into tears and declared the fear that she'd never see her daddy again. In my defense, this was way before GPS but my kids refused to even take me into an Ikea store, which we all know are designed to get you lost. For me, getting lost is natural. And if I were a sheep, I'd for sure be the one that wandered off chasing a butterfly, 
leaving the other 99 to happily munch grass. We have many ways that we can get lost, though, don't we? We say we've lost our mind. We say someone in a meeting, wow, just lost it. We can metaphorically lose our way and fall into addiction, lies upon lies, and all of the aftermath that goes with that. One can lose everything in a wildfire or a tornado or a war. We refer to death as losing someone we love. Sometimes sin is referred to as being lost. Tish Harrison Warner is an Anglican priest and an opinion columnist for the New York Times. Her piece on March 6, 2022, titled, We Live in a Culture Where Everything is Permitted and Nothing is Forgiven, is illustrative. Tish says that she grew up in the church, was active in her youth group, and active in a kids' theater group, and was not much of a rebel. She says that as a child, she had a hard time relating to the idea that we all are sinners. But her understanding changed when she got to college. And she says she came to understand sin as something more fundamental than rule breaking, more subtle and under the hood of my consciousness. It was the ways I would casually manipulate people to get my way. It was a hidden but obnoxious need for approval. It was that part of me that could not rejoice in a friend's big award or accomplishment, even as some other part of me told her, congratulations. Tish goes on to say that my favorite definition of sin comes from English author Francis Spuford. He says that most of us in the West think of sin as a word that basically means indulgence or enjoyable naughtiness. Instead, he calls sin the human propensity to mess things up. Only he doesn't use the word mess, and his word is probably closer to the truth of things. This propensity is not only passive like an accident, but is also our active inclination to break stuff, Spuford says, including moods, promises, relationships we care about, our own well-being, and other people's. That's a definition of sin that I can relate to. The sheep got lost naturally. The coin was lost accidentally. In the third story that Jesus tells in response to the grumbling Pharisees about his welcoming sinners and eating with them is a son who is lost through willfulness. Jesus starts the story by saying, there was a man who had two sons. The first century listeners would have been very familiar with stories about two sons, and none of them were about what today we would call healthy families. Murder, treachery, conniving, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Esau and Jacob. These stories were told and retold so we all could learn from them. One of my favorite definitions of wisdom is being able to learn from the mistakes that others make. As Leo Tolstoy says at the opening of Anna Karenina, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family 
is unhappy in its own way. So let's delve into this story that Jesus tells. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. This request was unusual, but not unheard of. Property was usually divided after the patriarch's death. An older son would get a double portion, so our younger son here received one-third of his father's wealth. When property was divided prior to a father's death, it was understood that the son would remain on the property and work it and provide for his parents from that inheritance until they died. This younger son, who did not even say, please, father, however, broke with tradition yet again. And as the story goes on, we learn that a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. He had sold his share and took off to parts unknown, leaving behind his parents, his siblings, his friends. I wonder what the shiny object was that he was chasing. Jerry Vines in the Vines Expository Bible Notes says, not gonna tell you the boy wasn't enjoying himself in that far country. Devil is too smart a fisherman not to use attractive bait. Jesus continues the story. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. The background music in my head has shifted pretty quickly from Willie Nelson's, if you've got the money, honey, I've got the time, to Billie Holiday singing, God bless the child. Now, when you got money, got lots of friends hanging around your door. But when the money's gone, all that spending in, they won't come round anymore. Was he just too ashamed to go to those of the Jewish diaspora living in that far country? Or was it just that in that place, the law concerning care for the stranger among you was not codified? He found himself literally in a pig pen, starving, with time for reflection. He has a wake-up call. Jesus says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. His decision to return may have been motivated by hunger, but it is to his father that he wishes to return. He plans to be accepted back as a hired hand, but he doesn't seem to question that he would be accepted back. Even after the pain and worry and hurt he has caused his family, it does not seem to occur to him that he could be turned away. The story goes on. 
But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Dad saw him while he was still far off. He was out there probably every day, scanning the horizon for any sign that his son would return. Can you see him? This older man in his long robes and his sandals, running down the dusty road to meet his son. The son starts his speech. He'd had quite a few miles to perfect what he would say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Only dad isn't listening because with happy tears in his eyes, he's calling out to his slaves, quickly bring a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The expositor's Bible commentary points out that he doesn't get to finish his speech, the part about becoming a hired hand. Instead, the father more than reversed the unspoken part about becoming a hired man. What he gave his son signified more than sonship. The robe was a ceremonial one, such as the guest of honor would be given. The ring signified authority, and the sandals were those only a free man would wear. The dad still isn't done. Remember that in the story about the lost sheep and the lost coin, there was a call to celebration and fellowship. Dad tells his servants, and get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But remember, this is a story about a man who had two sons. There is still the, the son who stayed. Jesus continues, now his elder son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The servant tells him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. He's hot. He's tired. He's probably hungry. He's been toiling in the field, not just today, but every day since his brother left. As Amy Jill Levine, a New Testament scholar, puts it, there was time to hire the musicians and call the caterer, but no one had remembered to go out to the field to get him. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he let his dad have it with all of the built-up, pent-up grievances he'd been harboring in his heart. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. Woofta, listen, all these years, like a slave, I have never disobeyed. You have never given me even this son of yours. You did for him. Woof, 
Thomas Nelson in the New King James Version, version Lucado, Encouraging Word Bible, writes, Wow, this is a story about two lost sons, not one. If the younger was an unholy mess, the older was a holy one. But which pig pen is worse? The one involving the very public sins of the flesh or the one consisting of deep sins of the heart? Do you see? Without ever leaving home, the older brother was miles and miles from his father. The father does not lash out at his angry tirade. I imagine his voice is sad when he replies quietly to his elder son. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. Notice also that dad presents the celebration as mandatory. He doesn't say, I thought we'd celebrate, or I thought it would be nice to celebrate. No, he says we had to celebrate and rejoice. When the older son rejects kinship with his brother by calling him this son of yours, is at the same time rejecting kinship with his father. The invitation from the father to the celebration to share in the joy is clear. Unless the elder son comes into the celebration, he is also lost. Even though I grew up as the younger child and for a time was the youngest of all the cousins, I get the elder son. I do. There were a lot of expectations on that elder child to be an example, to be good, to be the dependable one. The family honor was on his shoulders. But he carried goodness as a burden, not as a joy to be able to serve and honor his family, or as a reflection of his father's love, or as a response to that love. The Pharisees would have recognized their part in this parable. The public sinners, people who are known by the worst things they have done, are the younger son. The loving and extravagantly merciful father is God, and the seething elder brother was the Pharisees. In her book, Parables, the Arrows of God, Megan McKenna notes, if we call God our father, then the way we know we are the children is the way we care for one another, especially the straying, the lost, the public sinners, the desperate, and the ones we couldn't care less, less about, generally speaking. Jesus is trying to tell good religious people that the more we get comfortable in our religion and beliefs, the greater the possibility that we don't know God at all. She goes on to say, we need to pass on the gifts of mercy, forgiveness, and unconditional love that we accept from God, giving them to one another who needs them as desperately as we needed them. Jesus is trying to reveal to us, all of us, our own sinfulness. 
because some try to lay blame only on others and not accept it as common to all. Jesus is saying that the mercy extended to one, anyone, is salvation for all and will be extended to all. Some take it and some don't. Some take it, but don't pass it on. Jesus leaves the story hanging here. We don't know whether the older son accepts the father's invitation to joy. We don't know if the younger son gives more than lip service to his repentance. What we do know is that the father demonstrates extravagant, over-the-top, unreasonable love for both of his sons. Jerry Vines in Vines Expository Bible Notes says, the emphasis in the story is not the wayward boy, but the magnificent father. If the only way for a person to learn the lessons of life is by bitter experience, then God will let that person have that experience. God does not want to force you to love or to serve him. God wants your willing response. If you choose to walk away from the Father's house, God will not hinder you. How does this age-old parable speak to us today? Pope Francis, in his Lent message in Morocco on March 31st of 2019, notes, we can imagine that this open ending is meant to be written by each individual and every community. We can complete it by the way we live the way we regard others, and how we treat our neighbors. The Christian knows that in the Father's house, there are many rooms. The only ones who remain outside are those who choose not to share in his joy. And so my friends, I leave you with this, the heart of the matter as it seems to me. God is a loving Father who cherishes cherishes each and every one of us. He has enough love to go around to all of his children, and love bestowed on one does not in any way diminish the love he has for all the others. When we accept the kinship of the Father, then we also accept kinship with all of his beloved children. Other people are not this son or daughter of yours, but this brother or sister of mine. And yes, I am meant to be my brother's keeper. The negative consequences are in the past and grace is in the present if we will but accept it. This son was lost, but is found, was dead, but is alive. We always have the opportunity to dwell with God, seek his counsel and forgiveness, study and listen to his word, and work to live into that word. Our story is unfinished. No matter what we have done, we can come to ourselves. We can return to the Father. With just one step in his direction, he will run to meet us, throw his arms around us, and offer us the experience of an extravagant welcome home. Amen.